0: Midday takes to the air on the Rural Radio Network. at how are you today? It's Dirk Christens with you here. I'm surrounded with a cadre of people with information to hassle along your way over the course of the next minutes and hours here on your Rural Radio Network station. And our hearts and uh, prayers go out to those in western and uh, northwestern Nebraska. A lot of difficult situation due to the weather and some buildings down, some... Uh, Possible uh, some possible livestock damage. I'm, I'm sure that you've got the story for us.
1: <laughs> That's right. Coming up at twelve thirteen, Chabela Guzman of or sister station is talking with a farmer about the storms that hit the Panhandle last night and the effect to the fields and what they're seeing in their area. Very interesting to see what happens to the crops. They had tornadoes and hail and wind and rain, so it'll be interesting to see. For the 1219, Dewey Nelson is joined with Dean Hefta, Director of Water Street Solutions. Their topic today is the next generation leadership on the farm. For the Newsmaker, we are joined again with Isabella Guzman from KEB, talking with two Rwanda students who are interning at the UNL Extension in Scotts Bluff They're part of a group of six students interning at Scottsbluff, and they're working with crops, weeds, and other cropping subjects The two she's speaking to are working on plant pathology and working on different pea varieties And then for the 117, Joe Gangwish is joined with Strahinia Stepanovic. He is with University of Nebraska Extension, discussing their upcoming wheat and field pea variety days that is taking place in the central and western Nebraska. All
0: right. Thank you, Jesse Hardy. We yep. should do it. We should do like a duel off here. You get the tennis names. She gets the extension names. Yeah, that's a push. <laughs> that was a good one. You did very well. On Thanks. That. Thank you. I, he won't even try tennis names. You know,
1: he'd have to bring in Jen to help him.
2: <laughs> yes, our own Jen Hauser is our resident techs- tennis true. expert. That's so, bad. but it's it's not like the names used to be. That's right. Yeah. You know, no, no Chris Everett's out there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, no Jimmy Connors or, or Pam Shriver. Yeah. So, All right. anyway, coming up in sports, we will talk to Golden State Warriors. They won the NBA title last night. Game 5. Kevin Durant, he was the MVP. He he deserved it. That guy had a good yeah. five-game run and came up big last night, 39 points to help them to the victory. He had a good, good post-game interview, too. I yes, like he that. did, yeah. especially with his mother being there. So those two have been through a lot over the years. College World Series schedule is set. We will give you the lowdown on that. The first game has the number one national seed, Oregon State. They've won 21 games in a row. They will take on Cal State Fullerton on Saturday afternoon. And you heard about this, former NBA star Dennis Rodman is back in North Korea playing the role of diplomat. Uh, He knows President Trump, and also he's been in North Korea before. He's friends or acquaintances with Kim Jong-un. He says... He's trying to build a bridge. He's trying to open doors.
1: I don't know if I want him as our ambassador for that.
2: Exactly. But nothing else has worked. So maybe maybe the worm can get both sides to the bargaining table. Diplomat.
3: All yes. right.
0: There you go. And we've got uh, Bob Brogan over here. If
4: nothing else, he's got nice hair. That's I mean, true. He's yeah. got better hair than you know the north korean leader, but uh, he
0: takes chances
4: yes technology stocks are leading us index is higher today and also inflation at the wholesale level stayed pretty much flat in may as food and energy prices slipped president donald trump is visiting uh... Waukesha technical college in wisconsin
0: today with his daughter as part of a push for more apprenticeships, so that's kind of an interesting concept. As we go through the next couple of hours, lots of information coming your way on midday. Regional and Weather brought to you by Coolman Repair, and we welcome Paul Perkins back to the microphone. So you yeah. have some good time off? Yes,
4: yeah. yeah, so I actually went up to Calamus Reservoir, hung out with some family up there, and. Uh, State of Kalamazoo is a very nice place. And just the scenery up there, you're oh, yeah. you just see forever up there. It's nice. just beautiful, yeah. yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, it's nice to have you back just in time for the good news.
4: Yeah, some severe weather definitely possible today, especially if you're in central and east Nebraska and Kansas. Some sunny, hot, and humid conditions ahead of a front today. But thunderstorm development should be capped until the passage of a front late this afternoon into this evening. Those thunderstorms expected to be scattered. We're not going to see widespread thunderstorm coverage, but if you do see a thunderstorm in your area, More than likely, it will be severe with tennis ball-sized hail and damaging winds as the main threat. Localized heavy rain may result in some flash flooding. There is a slight risk of severe storms today if you're along and east of a line from Bassett to Broken Bow, Lexington, Norton, and Waukini in Kansas. So once again, Bassett to Broken Bow to Lexington and in Kansas east of a line from Norton to Waukini. A higher or enhanced risk of severe storms covers east, central, and northeast Nebraska if you're along an east of a line from O'Neill to Ord, Gibbon, and Hastings. Again, along an east of a line from O'Neill to Ord to Gibbon and Hastings, an enhanced risk of severe storms. Those thunderstorm chances diminish in the overnight as that front tracks farther to the east. Temperatures tomorrow behind this front, not going to be much cooler, but we're going to have much less humidity, so it will feel a lot more comfortable. It will stay slightly warmer than usual through Saturday as the westerly flow sets up. A few week disturbances may help to develop some thunderstorms over the weekend. Early next week, a ridge of high pressure starts organizing off towards our west. That will result in a more northwesterly flow across our area and temperatures closer to seasonal for this time of year. Now, in the long-term forecast for Nebraska, we are looking at, actually for Nebraska and Kansas, near normal to warmer than normal temperatures are expected Sunday through June 26th in central Nebraska for reference mid to late June Mid to late June daytime highs usually average in the mid-80s with overnight lows on average right around 60. Nebraska's precipitation forecast expected to be drier than normal Sunday through the 26th. The Kansas precipitation forecast starts out drier than normal early next week. Then it trends closer to what we usually see for this time of year the middle of next week through June 26th. Weather factors grabbing the attention of the market today include rain only, offering limited relief from the drought in the northern plains and variable rain prospects in the Midwest. In the next five days, periodic showers expected across portions of the southeast U.S. through the corn Belt into the northern plains, The rain in the northern plains will help ease the drought concerns a little in key spring wheat and corn growing areas, but the spring wheat likely to have notable reduced production where crop ratings are the lowest since the 1988 drought year. The portion of the spring wheat crop rated very poor to poor rose sharply from 32 to 57 percent in South Dakota and from 11 to 31 percent in Montana. Moderate to heavy rain is forecast for the eastern Midwest with lighter amounts in the western Midwest. That rain will benefit much of the Corn Belt where little rain has fallen in the last two weeks. But the stress to replanted crops with minimal root structure is likely. It will be hot and dry in the southern plains this week. That will help out with the wheat harvest but stress the row crops. Where irrigation needs will be extensive, livestock stress also likely to increase in the feedlots. In north-central Ukraine, dryness easing will be minimal this week. Just some light rain in their forecast. More moisture is needed for crop development in western areas of northeast China where scattered rain is in the forecast. Rain chances, though, do increase for the end of the week.
0: Ag Weather with Paul Perkins, this time around, brought to you by Coolman Repair. And uh, in about 20 minutes, we'll be checking in during our uh, Rural Radio Network uh, Farm News for a complete report on the damage in western Nebraska in the Bayard area. We understand there's also damage up in the Crawford, Fort Robinson area as well that we're following up here with the KRVM Newsroom. And I guess, if nothing else, this is a good time to kind of review your Severe thunderstorm safety measures. You
4: definitely, because yeah, that was a rough uh, night and day in m- much of western Nebraska. A lot of that storm energy is going to the north, but we're definitely going to see the prospects for some severe weather in central and east Nebraska, and Kansas today with
0: that front moving through. All right. Remember what we always tell you about the large hail and the possibility of lightning. Make sure that you're finding a good, sturdy place to be. And when you need weather anytime, KRBN.com.
1: Agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. A group of severe storms hit the Panhandle of Nebraska last night. And Shabella Guzman has more.
3: Severe storms brought with them tornadoes, hail, strong winds, and heavy rain on Monday night in the Panhandle of Nebraska. Several of the counties escaped with heavy rains and pea-sized hail, but the Baird area of Morrill County took the brunt of the storm. Trees were down and homes and buildings were damaged or demolished. Baird farmer Randy Irick is out driving the fields this morning. Randy, can you tell us what you're finding?
5: Yeah, we're we're driving around right now north of Baird. They all all the crops there look like they were hit pretty bad, a lot of trees down. Yeah, the, it it was pretty bad north of Baird, and pivots laying all over. And then we we drove Highway 26. There's, I don't know, we counted four pivots over. And yeah, a lot of trees and the ground's pretty flat. Looks like there's bit was a lot of rain, a lot of hail, and a lot of wind,
6: so.
3: Irick says the BT scene should be okay, but it will be a waiting game on the corn and beans to see if they are a loss or if they'll grow out of it or can be replanted. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chebella Guzman.
1: And the U.S. is just that much closer to having our beef on plates in China. Shaylee Peters has more. Yesterday, USDA posted the requirements for exporting U.S. beef to China, something producers and packers have been waiting on. And Joe Shaley with U.S. Meat Export Federation says they're favorable for the U.S.
5: Well, there's a lot to like in the agreement. Uh, There were several... uh several aspects of the agreement that were better, for example, than what other beef exporting countries have been able to achieve with China. We got a a very broad range of of items from the carcass approved, including a lot of off all items, variety meat items, uh, that other countries have not been able to export to China, and so we were very pleased to see that. Also got approval for chilled beef. Uh, When I say chilled, that means it's never frozen, so that tends to go to the higher end uh, Uh, restaurant sector and to the higher end supermarkets they want product that's never been frozen
1: Shaley said the fact that we can ship chilled beef is important because it's something other competing countries have struggled with. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. Beef exporters to China must meet specific requirements under the USDA Export Verification Program. These requirements apply to U.S. companies, slaughterers, fabricators, and or processors. That supply beef and beef products is listed on the USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service website. Eligible beef products exported to China should not contain growth prominence, feed additives, and other chemical compounds, including raptamine, prohibited by China's law and regulations, according to FESIS, and beef shipments detected with with prohibited substance or compounds at the Port Authority entry will be rejected, returning to the U.S. and or destroyed. In just coming across the news service, major food and beverage companies have won in a Trump administration's latest delay of Obama-era labeling requirements. A nutrition facts panel designed to make it easier to show calories and added sugars in products was originally slated to be on packages beginning of 2018, but is now being delayed until an unspecified date. And coming from FT. FDA's website, it says in a quote that the fast-approaching compliance deadline was virtually impossible to meet without the needed financial guidance from FDA. FDA's extension is both reasonable and practical, and that's according to the president of the Grocery Manufacturer Association, Trade Group. That's been a look at agriculture information. For more, you can find it anytime online by visiting RollRadio.com. the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding
7: next generation leadership on the farm. That's our topic with Dean Hefta, director with Water Street Solutions. Dean, what does the next generation need to know about leading the farm?
8: When a next generation farmer comes back to the family farm, they uh, often have questions and, and concerns about their new role and uh, even how they're going to be received by others on the farm. One of the concerns I hear from these farmers is, you know, how can I become more of a leader? on the farm, especially from the perspective of who's in charge right now. You know, I think this is the right question to be asking. They're not necessarily saying, you know, I want to come back in and and be handed everything over and be in charge. They're looking to know, you know, how do I earn my way into a, a bigger leadership role and, you know, show my commitment and my abilities. They're being proactive. Uh, rather than sitting back and saying, you know, I'm wondering when dad's going to train me, or I wish I could get more exposure to things on the farm. They're they're trying to take a proactive approach to finding their role.
7: What else is the younger generation concerned about these days?
8: I think some of the worries that can come through when you hear maybe some of the horror stories, the generation older than them has worked just as hired hands, well into you know their 50s, because the older generation won't really give up any decision making and it doesn't mean that the older generation has to give it up but the reality is people need to be on the same page for expectations because those things happen and i believe both generations play a role in helping to determine and and figure out you know what what is the right amount of preparation or demonstration to take over leadership you know what's needed there might be a point when both generations feel comfortable with that handoff to begin happening and i think it. It's good for it to be small pieces where they're demonstrating leadership. And it starts with doing everything you can to really enhance your capabilities as a farmer and a a future leader. So it's it's like you're earning your way into that next level of responsibility. It's becoming more educated on all the areas of skills that you're going to need to lead and really practicing and demonstrating them before you need them.
7: Dean, what are some ways to do that?
8: Well, you, I mean, you can start by asking yourself some questions. Uh, think of four questions come to mind. You know, if you're um, the older generation of the farm, you might um, consider whether your successor is is really preparing in these ways. You know, first, what are the main skills I'll need as a leader? Thinking beyond production and into the the business management side of the, of the farm, where are the areas that you need exposure and experience? Have you spent time... Learning about and and working with farm finances and developing your skills in those areas. Uh, things like financial literacy and, and developing supplier relationships and landlord negotiations and marketing. Those areas outside of production that are necessary for leadership. How do I develop in those areas? What are those key skills? Uh, another question, you know, how will I learn the skills that I have identified? You know, learning by doing is a great thing. But what are some of the mentors and classes that I can go to and utilize to develop my understanding. Another question is, what are the attitudes and behaviors that I'll need as the leader? You know, thinking about the the behaviors and attitudes that are needed and figuring out, how, where am I at and how am I gonna develop? And finally, how do I know when I'm really prepared to lead the operation? And typically, you're never quite prepared for the role you're in, but getting exposure to new experiences will give you the confidence, both to you and the current leader, that you're more ready uh, every year.
7: If you want to know more about this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today, we've discussed next-generation leadership on the farm with Dean Hefta, Director, Water Street Solutions. You're listening to Midday
0: on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen.
2: Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the schedule has been set for the upcoming CWS in Omaha, the number one national seed, Oregon State. They've won 21 in a row. They are 54-4 and on the year. They play the first game on Saturday afternoon against Cal State Fullerton. The second game has Florida State battling LSU. Then on Sunday, the afternoon matchup has Texas A&M against Louisville. And the second game of the day has a matchup between TCU and Florida. The city of Oakland is gearing up for a Thursday parade to celebrate the Golden State Warriors' latest NBA title. Fans, as you might expect, have been snapping up victory shirts and hats following a night of celebrating. And city crews are busy hanging championship banners along the parade route. The parade will take place Thursday morning in downtown Oakland following the same route as the team's parade did to celebrate its 2015 NBA title. Kansas City Royals made three selections on the first day of the Major League Baseball Players draft yesterday. Their first pick was first baseman Nick Prado from Huntington Beach, California. He was selected with a 14th overall pick in the first round. Stillwater, Oklahoma High School's Ryan Velade, the Gatorade Baseball Player of the Year in his state, went to the Rockies yesterday in the second round. He was selected with the 48th pick. And the Minnesota Twins, they selected California high school shortstop Royce Lewis with the number one pick. The 6-foot, 185-pounder from New Jersey hit 377 with four homers and 25 stolen bases this past spring. Well, Dennis Rodman is back in North Korea today, speaking to reporters at the airport in Beijing on his way to North Korea. Rodman says he's trying to open a door between North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and President Trump. Former NBA star knows them both, making four previous trips to North Korea and having appeared on Celebrity Apprentice. In a separate development, the State Department says North Korea has released an American University student who had been serving a 15-year prison term. That statement makes no mention of Rodman's visit, and U.S. officials say Rodman is in North Korea as a private citizen. And Mike Gundy has signed a five-year contract extension with Oklahoma State that will pay him about $4.2 million. The deal announced today requires approval from the Oklahoma State A&M Board of Regents. That agreement will automatically roll over each season and it replaces his current deal. Gundy is Oklahoma State's longest-serving and most successful head football coach. With a record of 104-50, and 50, he previously made $3.9 million a season. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
9: Chance of thunderstorms in Nebraska tonight with some of those storms could be severe with damaging winds and large hail and frequent lightning. I'm Dave Schroeder. Meanwhile, a storm system that began in Colorado spawned numerous suspected tornadoes in Nebraska's panhandle last evening, including one in Baird that tore off the roof of a nursing home and caused home and tree damage throughout the community. National Weather Service meteorologist Kate Kosakis in Cheyenne, Wyoming.
1: We had reports of tornadoes kind of on and off as it continued to move northeast into Kimball County as well as Banner County. From looking at the radar signatures, um, it appears we had actually several tornadoes on the ground at one time in Banner County. And this storm just continued to move northeast um, and hit right around the Baird area in um, Morrill County. Um, And we had a, we did have reports of, some damage
9: associated with um, with the tornado in that area. The storm struck Baird uh, last evening around 7:10, damaging the Chimney Rock Villa, a nursing home, and several homes in the area. No injuries reported. Villa residents were taken to the town's high school, which became a storm shelter. The portion of the high school roof over the wood shop also was ripped off. A state-required DNA test for a Nebraska prison inmate links him to four rapes reported more than ten years ago in Omaha. Douglas County Attorney Don Klein says he intends to charge Brandon Weathers with rapes committed in 2002 and 2004. Weathers already is serving 100 to 160 years for raping a 13-year-old child. In April, more than 70 inmates had refused to provide DNA samples as required by state law. A June 5th court order gave officials authority to use force to obtain Weather's sample if he again refused. He did, so guards held him down and took a sample from a cheek. Authorities say the Nebraska State Patrol Crime Lab connected the sample to the four cases. A Two-year-old and eight-year-old girls have been taken into state custody because they were found locked outside their south-central Nebraska home in 91-degree heat. The children told Hastings Police that around 6.30 Sunday evening that they'd been locked out since before lunch. Officers knocked on the residents' doors, but no one answered. Police say the children didn't need medical care. Officers found the children's mother at home yesterday afternoon. A nonprofit organization that purchased the last known airplane identical to the one Amelia Earhart flew has announced plans for a new airport facility in Kansas that will serve as a museum to showcase the plane and as a terminal for airport traffic. As the severe storm season moves in, remember, the Weather Watch never sleeps. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
3: The University of Nebraska-Lincoln Panhandle Research and Extension Center welcomed six UNL students from Wawanda who will be interning at the center this summer. I'm Chibela Guzman with the Rural Radio Network. Among the six students are Lillian Umoza and Germain Entwari. Both will be working with Extension educators on crops and more at the Extension. I caught up with Deepak Sandra, crop breeding specialist at the Extension, to meet his intern, Lillian Umoza. Deepak, what kind of work will Lillian be helping you with this summer?
10: all the activities I do in alternative crops breeding program like millet, field peas, fenugreek, wheat, all these things. So she will get to chance everything full spectrum from seed preparation to planting to harvesting. And then as time goes, I'll explain which step is part of what breeding program because it's multi-step process breeding program and how important that is. So my goal is to give her an idea how a breeding program works, which is important, and what we start with, what we end with, and what is the use of that end product for our local farmers.
3: It sounds like a lot to cram into one summer, but Sandra says she will mostly be working on a project with peas. But her project
10: would be on field peas or yellow pea Project what I have been thinking of, like different varieties as a different yield for field peas. I want her to analyze some of the key traits which are important for the yield, which determines the yield. Not only just total water requirement or fertilizer, but some genetics, which genetic component of the field P is important for pea variety. So that will be her project specifically. So she, get, she gets to learn which genetics of P is important, how they differ from variety to variety. Because I have about 10 to 20 different varieties planted at Scottsbluff, Sydney and Hemmingford.
3: Umosa tells us a little bit about what she's been working on so far at the extension.
11: The whole process of breeding starts with you have to, to do a good preparation of your seeds and make sure you don't mix things up and then plant them and follow up with the growing steps
3: of the seeds and the plants. Another student, Jermaine Ntoire, will be working with Dr. Robert Harvison, plant pathologist at the UNL Extension. Harvison gives us a little bit of an idea of what Jermaine will be doing in the labs this summer.
4: Well he's working on a little bit of everything. He's we've we've shown him stuff that just, just things that we're doing in the lab. So he's got certain projects that he's been assigned to uh, with, with some greenhouse work. He's working with sunflowers, several sunflower diseases with sugar beets and and with dry beans, some of the bacterial problems, and then I think we had him out in the field. And we'll probably be doing some more of that. Uh, we're we're going to be planting a dry bean study tomorrow, and so I'd like him to be a part of that as well. Learn about the agriculture here, and to learn different uh, aspects of uh, in in agriculture. And in each there's uh, the, of the six that's out here, so they're assigned to certain people. So in other words, like the one that's assigned to me, Germaine, is we'll be working with uh, plant disease issues.
3: Jermaine says it's a passion for agriculture that has led him from Rwanda to the panhandle of Nebraska
11: we when you see Rwanda like uh geographically is located in the tropics so near nearby the equator so there's a lot of disease trends right in that region so one of the things that is striking more intensively our agriculture beside drought and other stuff there's a lot of plant diseases right there so I say to myself, what can I help my country, uh, you know, contribute to the industry so that we can grow uh, our crops healthy and uh, more economically beneficial. So that's basically what pushed me to get inside the plant pathology. uh.
3: Jermaine, what is it you're hoping to learn this summer working with Dr. Harvison?
11: I'm looking forward on learning about plant pathology and the system here they use. So pretty much I'm concerned about what is the disease, how does it look like, and what are the principal uh, measures to uh, come out that threats.
3: Jermaine, I understand you've been working with wheat. Can you tell us more about what you're learning with the crop?
11: There is a bunch of wheat crops here getting disease, the viral diseases. So I found that very interesting because I kind of have now a bigger and broad picture of what kind of viral disease, how does it look like in a uh, in wheat industry and uh, I'm really looking forward to working more and uh, learning more about it.
3: Jermaine says even though he's in Nebraska, he still keeps up on Rwanda's agriculture sector and some of the challenges it is facing. Lillian, what are you looking forward to learning this summer?
11: Observing what happened like to the field and I think it's going to be helpful to me because there's a lot of things to learn here. I get to go out to the field and observe everything Deepak gave me a project to work on pea and peas are being grown back in my country so I get to do that by myself and follow up with the whole growing season and when I finish the project like the peas will be like harvested from the seed and I get to make conclusions about what happened on the field
3: she says the Panhandle is very different from Rwanda and even Lincoln, but she's looking forward to a summer in the fields. The students Lillian Umaza and Jermaine Intuare are just two of the six interning at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff. There are nine more Rwandan interns at the West Central Research and Extension in North Platte and several are interning in Lincoln. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chibella Guzman. <laughs>
7: Back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities in our second day of losses in the cattle futures. Joe,
5: yes, sir. Uh, well, I think uh, there's some concern that we're going to see more cattle uh, down the road. Plus the fact that the uh, uh, trade yesterday, even though it was fairly light, was at lower money, and that caused a lot of concern. Then you throw in the uh, uh, cutouts at noon being lower on the choice, and that. Uh pretty much solidified the fact that we were going to see a lower day today, and uh, uh, but we did kind of rebound here right at the very end, come off the lows. Uh, I think short covering uh, markets approaching uh, oversold, and I think uh, uh, that could come become a factor uh, later on because we are now back to uh, a fair discount uh, to the uh, the cash that did trade. But I think there is some fear that we're going to see uh, cash continue to uh, slide just a bit. Doesn't appear the Packers quite as aggressive as they have been in previous weeks. Uh, feeders under some pressure as the uh, grains rebounded today, and uh, but the same thing there rebounding a little bit uh, off the lows at the close. I think under short covering, so uh, just kind of a quiet, methodically uh, lower day today in the cattle and the hogs. Just about the opposite. A methodically higher day in the uh, hogs. Cash uh, seemed to be a lot higher once again. Uh, product movement uh, fair, but the uh, uh, cutouts higher at noon. So all of that positive news and that uh, kept some buying interest uh, in the hogs. And the June contract he goes off tomorrow at noon.
7: Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. <laughs> going to
12: learn more about some winter wheat and also field pea field days are going to be held across a large part of central and western nebraska here in the near future Strahinja strapanovich is an extension educator out of perkins county with the university of nebraska he's going to tell us more about those so what's going to be on the agenda this year
6: Yeah, this is uh, kind of a unique year for Nebraska Extension. Field Peas have been kind of expanding the acreages throughout the whole Nebraska and going from Panhandle to southwest Nebraska and now to eastern Nebraska. So what we decided to do this year is to combine wheat and field pea plot tours at these uh, five locations. They're going to be on June 16th, Bladen, June 19th, North Platte, June 20th, Grant. Uh, June 21st, Sydney, Nebraska and June 22nd, uh, Hemingford area. So, and these are all going to have boats focused mostly on wheat and field peas, but depending on the location, we're also going to have uh, tours of field pea processing facilities. We're also going to have uh, different indoor sessions like uh, for double cropping wheat with the corn silage. We're going to have a guest speaker, Lucas Haig from Kansas, um, coming in, our, in our, on, on uh, two out of these five about wheat and field pea production in Kansas, which is going to be really interesting to see what their experience is. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of cover crop and forage plots to show on our outdoor sessions. We're going to have indoor discussions about raising a high yield and high wheat grain protein. Uh, and what's really unique about this year's field day is that we have a huge support from ag industry as well. We're going to have Robert Seed, first of, First, um, they kind of jumped in and sponsored our field days from three locations in West Central. Green Cover Seed is going to have their demonstration plot and play then showed 70 different cool season crops and species um, in different mixes. Um, You know, our uh, local co-ops decided to come up and be on the industry panel, discuss uh, different management strategies. Uh, different seed companies like Kluers, AgriForce. I might be missing someone here, but uh, it's just an amazing how we all came together, and everybody has their part of uh, bringing something to the table, which I think will be really, really interesting to our farmers because this is kind of going to be the most comprehensive view of wheat and field people and cover crop production that they will have uh, opportunity to visit with. Yeah,
12: you can find out more, of course, at cropwatch.unl.edu. We also have several of the dates on our Rural Radio Network farm calendar as well. So, Strahinia, before we let you go, what do you want uh, some of these growers to know? Field peas sound like they're gaining in popularity
6: that's right i'm really getting excited about going to eastern nebraska and seeing the registration numbers go up dramatically in the past couple days Uh, i'm just looking forward to see the other ways incorporating field peas into our cropping system rotations because out here in the west we're just basically replacing fallow what they're doing out there is completely different they're replacing soybeans Uh, before weeds, they're growing field peas and they're no-tilling some forages. Uh, Apparently there's a lot of different ways that we can incorporate field peas and they have a good price and we have a local market. Farmers, if you wanna uh, check the detail agenda for each one of these locations, just type um, uh, field pea, UNL, field A on the Google and it will pop up a page that you can look at, uh, our main page, go to page, and then you can see all these um, details on the agendas.
12: Ed Strahinis-Tapanovich, Extension Educator, University of Nebraska, on the Winter Wheat and Field Pea Field Days. that are coming up here in June.
7: I'm Joe Gangwish on the Rural Radio Network. Big day in the wheat market, Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And we're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain spring wheat was the story of the day today wasn't it
13: yeah big moves there and uh, continued dryness up up there they did get some rain this morning but i think the forecast is looking for kind of another spell of dryness there as we get into uh... uh middle part of april i'm sorry tune markets have just been crazy really it's uh... wheat leading it and that's what we want to see here and then the row crop markets wheat has been depressed for so long that uh... to see this kind of bounce maybe put the floor under everything Still think we've got to be careful here on that September contract. A lot of grain that needs to move before the end of the summer, but if you can get a handle on the forecast, you can probably predict where this thing's going. The latter is very difficult, though.
7: It was rather impressive to see these late moves in the session uh, to almost um, session highs for all three contracts of Minneapolis, Chicago, and Kansas City.
13: Right, in the Kansas City trading and it's the highest close we've had since the the, the snow run up, which was and only forty five days ago. I think we had snow at that point and now we're sitting ninety degrees and worried about dryness. Um, it feels like maybe we've got to run up to that level. That's 480, 475 on the, uh, the July contract. I'd say producers with bushels to move, they got to make decisions there. Uh, it's, you know, I'm certainly not against reowning it, but you're going to you're gonna have to buy the carry to get that kind of price action. We've got two weeks to go before this contract goes into the delivery. If we expire right here, this will be about 50 cents higher than really where we've been the last Six or seven expiration periods. So I think a lot of this is getting priced in. But you know, the Minneapolis contract continuing to rally, that could go to seven dollars. So that could drag on the Kansas City easily.
7: And in corn, we continue to see that pretty narrow trading range, three sixty to three eighty, three eighty two. Correct.
13: Yeah, I think it pays to to really buy the breaks, not chase the rallies here. Feels like maybe we've got another run up above four dollars on the December contract, possibly as high as four ten, four twenty, if you really want to get pushing. But uh, again, I think you're going to start to lose some some demand as, as the market rallies here, and um, you know we're a dollar over where we would have expired a, a a year ago, uh, mm-hmm. and the December contract at that point. Um, tough to say though on the weather you know i know the heat is taking its toll on things out west out east we're depending on moisture here the next seven days if that comes and we cool off things could look pretty good but uh i look for those crop conditions as they continue to deteriorate through june albeit slowly uh, but i think there will be a lot less than they are right now
7: little by little thanks john john payne senior marketing analyst daniels ag marketing in chicago and the place to go is danielsagmarketing.com